0: Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Putang Damang Sangam Namasa At one time, there was a novice who went on alms round in the village and he went to the house of a moneylender and his wife. They didn't give him any food. So he very quietly and politely turned away and continued his alms round with an empty bowl. This surprised the wife of the moneylender, because he was very polite, even though they didn't offer him anything. So she was a bit suspicious, and she followed him. As soon as he was far from their house, he looked around. He had to urinate. So he looked to make sure there was no one around, and he didn't see her. He very carefully squatted, and made a little indentation in the earth and then when he was finished, he covered it carefully and then he continued on his way. Now the moneylender's wife watched this and she thought he had buried some precious thing. So she went and looked for this where he was squatting and saw the little mound of dirt and she uncovered it and smelled it. And she saw, oh, all he did was put urine in there. Well, if he takes such good care of his urine, how much care he would take of more valuable things. So she rushed home and told her husband about this impressive young novice, and they decided to adopt him as their foster son. They were childless, so they would have somebody that they could leave their fortune too. Then they summoned the young novice, and they said, we would like you to be our foster son. What do you think he said? No, not interested. And they were surprised. And then he said, I have what is truly valuable already. There's nothing that you can give me of value and they were so impressed by his manner and his renunciation, so they asked him to tell them what he had of value. So he taught them the Dhamma. He taught them about virtue. He taught them about contentment. He taught them about selflessness, not selfishness. He taught them about cultivation of the mind. He taught them about wisdom as a way to overcome their greed, their ill-will, and their ignorance. So they began to practice, and sooner or later they became established in the Dhamma, and realized where the true riches lie. This is a, a very good story, a good reflection for those of us that think that possessions that we have are so valuable. And when we start to realize that what what is valuable is our conduct, our way of speaking, our manner of doing things, and our thoughts, to have goodness arising in conjunction with all of these four things. And so even though the novice had an empty bowl, he was much more full in his heart than the money lender and his wife and This is a good thing for us to examine in, in our way of doing things in our, our conduct, in the words that we use, and in the ways that we think. what kind of even to that extent we may not perform course actions against anyone, we may be quite harmless, but then we still use words that are unpleasant, that are insulting, abrasive even. And even if we think our words are nice, polite, kind, but our thoughts might be quite crude. We might have a lot of judgment. Think about thinking about thoughts, be aware, or just review for a moment how much critical thinking we have about other people. Like when you meet somebody and you say something to them, you always, and then comes the, the criticism, you always do this, you always do that. This is a judgment. We judge each other. And then if we think, well, I don't judge anyone, So what kind of thoughts do we have towards ourselves? I can't do that. I'm confused. I don't know what I want to know. Everyone else is better than me. Or we have uh, feelings of ill will towards ourselves. So these thoughts are not helpful. They're not to be treasured, not to be practiced. We we actually have habits of thought which are extremely harmful to ourselves. And yet, all of us are yearning for the truth. We're yearning for a healing, peace, a wholeness, a feeling of well-being in body, in word, in thought, in state of mind. So the Buddha said that not only on the exterior do we go from the coarse to the refined, like from learning how to give up unwholesome acts and how to give up unwholesome words and how even to refine our thoughts. But look, sitting down and practicing meditation, even when we do these meditative practices to purify our minds, we can come to many different levels. The very first level is learning how to focus on one point, one object, because usually the mind is busy and roaming around, attending to, like think of what we did today, there were so many jobs so much activity, we got so much done, but how, how much business, how much the mind had to jump from one activity to the other. When we're meditating, we give that up and we focus inwards. So the mind has to be extremely renunciant, right there, we have to give up the busyness. And that can make us drowsy. Certainly after working very hard and eating a big meal, we feel drowsy. It's boring. I'd much rather go for a walk and look at all the beautiful buds coming out on the trees and the birds flying around making their nests and the woodchuck, groundhog, looking for where she can have her babies etc. is much more interesting than closing our eyes and trying to focus on one point. But then we do that, and after a while we get some stillness. But that's not enough. We want more than just a little bit of stillness. We want some exotic mind state, some thrilling experience. And if we have one little moment of deep peace. and We think, oh, I haven't felt like this. This is very special. So we want something deeper, something better, something more fabulous. But it really is a gradual training to go from the the coarse to the refined. It's much easier in external conditions to give up those things that are harmful to others, because it's easy for us to notice how harmful they are to ourselves. But when we start refining our thoughts, that becomes more and more difficult. And so we have to be very patient. The Buddha says that this purification of mind requires an exalted form of patience and it is the highest austerity, you could probably compare it to walking on hot coals. Because if you spend one day alone with your mind, without meeting anybody, or talking to anybody, or doing anything, even putting out the garbage, or doing nothing, what does the mind do then, when we do nothing? It gets very, very agitated. So stopping and stilling and purifying requires an inordinate amount of patience. And in that particular verse, the Kanti Paramang, the ovada verses, one of the statements is Sachita Paryodapanang, which means to make the heart clear, pure and empty. And this is an extremely important instruction. To make the heart clear, pure, and empty means to not just reach a moment when it's clear, pure, and empty, but to sustain that. To sustain it for two moments, for three moments, for five, for ten. Okay, we just did an hour, and we can reflect, well, how many moments clear, pure, and empty did we get? we're still thinking of getting. We're still still coming from I want. So it's not pure, it's not empty, and it's not completely clear. And just to continue that work until we realize a deeper and deeper level of clarity, purity, and emptiness, until we come to a point where we can sustain that clarity, purity, and emptiness, not just for an hour, but even as we get up and walk around and return to our daily life. We're not falling back into our old habits. Somebody asked me yesterday, how do you know that you touch the truth, that what you're doing will lead you to what's true. It was interesting because no one's ever put the question to me quite like that. And all I could think of was what it feels like when I go into the forest. When you first leave the busyness of the world and you go to a wilderness, whether it's the clarity of the lake that is as large as Lake Ontario or one of the Great Lakes, or you stand at the edge of the ocean, where you're standing and looking out into this emptiness, into this clarity, into this purity. When you go into a forest, there's a lot to see. And in the beginning, you might see just shrubs and bushes, but the deeper you go, and the more you reach forests that has never been cut, we hardly have any around here. But a friend had some old-growth forest on his land, and the trees in that old-growth forest are enormous. They're hundreds and hundreds of years old. No one has ever cut there. When you reach that place and you see those giant trees standing there, you know that you've touched something that is unspoiled by human hands. No one has gone there and caused harm, like in the forest here. They're all fairly recently grown. The trees are much thinner. It's new and it's still not developed. So you can hear the sounds of the highway. You can hear the train. You can even hear voices. But when you go deep into the forest, you will just be alone with your, your mind. And that's why the Buddha told us, go to the roots of trees, sit at the foot of trees, meditate there, where our minds will be unsullied by the sounds and distractions of the world. But we bring the world with us. So we have to be very patient and accepting that this is a gradual training. And if we walk deep enough, just like we go deeper and deeper into the forest to find those giant trees, we go deeper and deeper into the corridors of our hearts and minds and we will be able to grow that space of clarity, emptiness and purity more and more so that we're not tight and tense with our our search we're able to touch that which gives us the sense of freedom. Rather than feeling like we have to get something, whatever we need to get is given. It arises naturally because the pure mind, the mind that is really purified, has a natural radiance. It is in itself a gift. We don't have to add anything by our ambition, our desire, our selfishness, our wanting to create something in there that will make us happy. We can never satisfy the ego, and the ego will never be enlightened. We have to shed that, truly shed it. We can only shed it if we go deep enough into the corridors of the heart that we never come back from there the same. We don't come back and return to all our old habits of body, of conduct, of words, and of thoughts that make us feel distressed and despairing and discouraged. We come back transformed because we've touched what is true. And the truth will set us free. We know the truth when we realize that we have touched that deeply. It's like when you come to those places in nature that are so unspoiled. It's the raw, wild. So we don't think of the interior of our our hearts as a wilderness. But rather, it's an empty space. It's the heart that is sacchitta pariyoda panang. It's clear. It's pure. It's completely harmless. It's an emptiness in which we understand the truth of all things. We see their impermanence. We don't find any self in there. There's nothing to protect. We are completely protected by wisdom, by just knowing that space for ourselves. It's not something we can read about in a book. The Buddha always talks about the truth, the ultimate truth, in terms of what it is not. So it's just something that we can only taste through our own experience. And the beauty of it is that It is apparent, here and now, timeless, to be experienced directly by those who have eyes to see, who have time to search, who have the patience to open, to give up clinging, to wake up, waking up, then we have to just set our feet on the path and trust that It's not something we can buy, but we can commit ourselves to it. And some people feel that they don't have time to meditate because life demands so much. But really this practice is something that is doable in everyday life. Even as you sit here feeling your sit bones on your seats and your hands folded in your laps, These are moments when we can pay attention to our our experience and use our mindfulness to penetrate into the feeling, the knowledge of what we feel, the knowing of sensation, the knowing of present moment awareness of that sensation, the clarifying of our perception of sensation, the knowing of how the mind receives the sensational, Experience. Sensational. (laughs) And understanding the physical and mental connection between mind and matter. So that we're not mistaking the body for what we are. Not mistaking it as me or myself. And seeing it as just a composite, like a car. It's a vehicle. This body is just a vehicle a vehicle for us to travel in. And when we have to give it up, what happens? Not to think that we have to take this body with us for the rest of the journey. These are mysteries that we can explore through our own integrity. Integrity means wholeness and purity and clarity and even if we go away from a situation with empty bowl, I've been there, I've done that. Go for alms in the village and have an empty bowl. And reflect that the emptiness is a gift. Reflecting on how emptying the mind of all that we carry, all the hindrances that keep our minds in a state of furrowed brow, you develop this furrow in your brow when we could have a smooth and empty horizon inside within us, just like the view from the side of the lake, or the way the trees, the large old-growth forest reaches up to space, just to the sky, there is emptiness in all things. It's the mind that continues to fabricate and create a reality on which the ego is hung. And then the identification with the body makes us cling to life. But a life that is lived with anxiety and worry, with greed for the gratification of the senses, with restlessness, with boredom, with agitation, and with doubt, is not a life that will lead us to the truth. So therefore the, the teachings about emptying, seeing clearly, sustaining that, purifying. It's all we need to know, it's really simple, taking it into everyday life. We follow these rituals just as a way of holding up the teaching, whether we like it or not, whether it's helpful or not, whether we heard it or not but we express uh, joy that the teaching is, we're aspiring, we're trying, we're repeating, we're seeing, we're exploring, we're listening, and something will be shared, something will be, even one word, we can take away with us, we feel happy. Anamodami, I rejoice in the goodness. We rejoice to be here together. I certainly rejoice.